Romans chapter 8, if you would please turn there. In just a second, we're going to begin reading in verse 28, and we're, we're reading through the end of this chapter purposefully. So every time we're working through this chapter, we're going to just do that. And I, I think and hope it'll just become real apparent as the deeper we go into the text. Verse 28, Romans 8, uh, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, and he is, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how he will not also along with him graciously give us all things. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who Condemns no one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are, we are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that either death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's, let's pray. So yesterday I was listening to some, some hymns, and this is just one line from them. I stand upon his merit I know no other stand. So, Father, the hymn is Jesus, and we pray that by your Spirit, please give to us a deep hunger and a deep multi-layered rest in your truth as it is presented here, and may we feel in our hearts and in our heads how deeply and dearly we are loved by you in Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Amen. So if you were with us last time, you'll remember that we basically did a flyover of these final verses of Romans chapter 8. It was very purposeful because in that we, we said that Paul is actually saying or affirming through all these verses one main truth. And that one main truth is nothing at all can separate the Christian from God's love in Christ. And Paul takes us to some very profound, deep truth to confirm this love for us. So once a person has connected with God through Jesus Christ, there is a foundational truth that, that neither the bad things we do which come out of us nor the bad things that are done which come to us 
Regardless, God's love remains in intensity, in commitment, in promise, in plan, in plan, all of it. His love remains the same. Nothing can separate us from God's love. And not just you when you think about this, but us as in other Christians. So the church cannot be separated from God's love. So personalize this if you need to, absolutely, but congregationalize this as well. And here's why. The whole basis of God's love is only on account of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Do you see it there in verse 39? Nothing can separate you from God's love. That is in Christ, in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if your Bible's open, you'll see this. This is the work of Christ on the cross. That's verse 32. It is his justifying of us, verses 33 and 34, so that Jesus lived a life that we could not live, and he died a death that we should have died. He was raised to life. You see it there for our justification in order that we'll never be under any condemnation. Now, forgive me, but let's just pause for a second for an application. (laughs) I just like that rhythm of that text, justification, condemnation. Now, just an application, a little early, but still. Anything or anyone which comes against you, Christian, that is built on condemnation, The Bible tells me this is a house of cards. It is a house of cards. Now, if you're in the thick of condemnation, it can feel like a house of bricks. You know, it's impossible with your own strength to huff and puff and blow down. But in Christ, that condemnation from the world, the flesh, and the devil, that condemnation is a house of cards. The Christian cannot do anything nor say anything which will bring them back into condemnation. Not because we're innocent, but verse 33, because God has chosen you, because God has justified you. Verse 34, because Christ Jesus died for you. More than that, he's at the right hand of God and he is interceding for us. Now, this is a big thing. We can't skip it. You understand intercession, don't you? Jesus is speaking to the Father on our behalf, and in the broken bits and pieces of our lives, perhaps, you know, once again, falling prey to sin or just being beaten down to a pulp because that's the way life is sometimes. Jesus says to the Father, he says, Father, I died for her. Father, I lived for her. Father, I've ascended to the throne for her. Father, I kept the law perfectly for her. Therefore, Father, my perfect, spotless righteousness will always belong to her. So you see, God loves us, and in some, you know, I think, credible but mysterious way, he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me that I'm his love. And therefore, Christian, please listen carefully. You have every legitimate right to expect that should be so. You have every legitimate right and reason to speak, if you would, these things to ourselves in our bedrooms, in our offices, you know, and celebrate the love of God and, and plan a life within that framework. So at night, you know, when you were awakened, at least I am, and you're overwhelmed again with anxiety and with fear and condemnation just pressing against your mind, what do we do? Well, we say, Lord Jesus Christ, my ascended king, at least this is what I do. Lord Jesus Christ, my ascended king, I thank you that you are here in this room with me and the things that are hurting me, killing all my hope, overwhelming me, indeed condemning me, they are a deep concern because you died for me and you were raised 
and you are the ascended Christ, and you're making great, accurate intercession for me as part of your church. And I know that I don't deserve it, but I know that I have it. And you see, these verses then, all of them, even the the difficulty of verses 29 and 30 and foreknowledge and predestination, it doesn't matter. All of this is God's way of saying, here is my deep-seated assurance of my love for you. You are not left alone. Everything may scream otherwise. Perhaps other people may scream otherwise. But these verses are true and they are alive and we should pray again and again for the grace of a disciplined mind to refuse in those condemnations, refuse those anti-gospel, anti-finish work of Christ's lines of living. Because all they do is they devalue the king and exalt human pride. And they have no right to be there at all if you are a Christian. And frankly, I don't care what you've done. In Christ, they have no right to be there at all. Psalm 18.35, you have given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand supported me. Your humility, as in he humbled himself to death on the cross, your humility has made me great in Christ. Now, that was last time. That was a flyover. Now, let's just dive deep into one main verse this morning, verse 28, and let's just get really, really wet in that verse, if you would. We're going to go deep into the water, and we're going to get wet. So if your Bible's open, you'll see this. Verse 27, this is the context. When you are suffering as a Christian, we know, verse 27, that the Holy Spirit as well is perfectly praying for us, perfectly in line with God's will. No doubt about it. And therefore we know, and this is our first point, in all things God is working for the good of his own. That's verse 28. Now, here is a good example from the Bible, two occasions from one city. And the city is called Dothan, right? The first thing that happened in Dothan is way back in Genesis 37 is that Joseph is thrown into a pit by his brothers to be sold in time into slavery in Dothan. And most of you know the story. Young Joseph is forced out of everything that is familiar to him and becomes a slave in Egypt. And as a result of his terrible brother's plot, he has a life of absolute misery ahead of him for years and years and years and years. And then many centuries later, a second thing which happened in Dothan is Elijah is in Dothan. And by now it's a city. And this important city is surrounded by an enemy. And Elijah is afraid that the city is going to go down and destroyed. So 2 Kings chapter 6, Elijah prays and cries out to God. Oh, Lord, please save us from our enemy. And God does immediately. And they're saved. Okay, so if you know the story of Joseph... You know this, that if it had not been, if he had not been sold into slavery, and if he had not gone through all those years and years and years of misery and injustice, not only would hundreds of thousands of people died by famine, but his own family would have been destroyed by their own sin. And loved ones, what this means is, is that God was just as actively working everything together for the good in Joseph's life when so many things were so wrong and so terrible for so long, God was working there just as he was swiftly and miraculously one prayer and it's done rescue in Elijah's life. Okay, so one you could say was in minutes, 
the other years and years and years. Now, you know and I know that I think in the context that we're in, uh, one, you know, one story will sell a whole lot of books, right? Rocket prayers. <laughs> Here's how to pray, you know, rocket prayers. But that's not the point, is it? I hope it's not. Look how many lives were saved in each of those stories. Look how much good God worked in both of those stories. So I need to ask you a question. As you think about that, and you think about you, do you personally know how important your life is to this world? Do you? Do you personally know how important your life is to the world? And do you know personally how important your life is, your prayers are, and the plan of God to save the world? Both these stories are salvation stories. And just don't think numbers here and don't think short term here. I mean, don't think numbers. Remember the movie Schindler's List? I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's one of my favorites. And Oscar Schindler, who's the, the hero of the story, the, on his tombstone, he has written in Hebrew and in English, whoever saves one life saves the world entire. Whoever saves one life saves the world entire. So do you know, if God is working all things for all those in Christ for the good, do you know how important your life is to God? Do you, know, do you know what my, one of my prayers this week was for all of us? Oh God, open the eyes of your people. Oh God, open the eyes of the people of West Cohasset Chapel in light of what I just said. So Paul says here, verse 28, always, 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 always. It's always the case that no matter the pace of God's answer for you, Christian, no matter if it is fast or slow or if it's a crawl, you can be assured, absolutely assured, Christian, not only of God's perfect, unchangeable love for you in Christ, but God is in everything working for the good, indeed your good. So if it's true that no no sparrow falls from the sky without God's sanction, then you, then you can be sure that God will work all things for the Christian's good. That's number one. In all things, God is working for the good of his own. Okay, number two. However, this does not mean that bad things are actually good things. They are not. Let me give you another example from the Bible. I want you to remember Jesus' time at the tomb of Lazarus. Okay, so... Jesus was before the tomb, about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He, right there, you can read it in the text, John eleven thirty five. 35, he was weeping. And actually, he was angry in his weeping. That's true to the Greek word. He was really huffing and puffing, crying. Okay, why? Why, why do we, or why did he do that? So, so why didn't Jesus say, you know what, it's all good, I'm here, I'm about to raise him from the dead, so this isn't bad, strike up the band, you know, change the tune, throw some uh, ribs on the barbecue, I'm really going to show you now my glory. He didn't do any of that. He's weeping at the tomb, why? Okay, is this theater? Oh, look how compassionate he is. Or, you know, I'm thinking of my sister Andrea here, is this a future Bible trivia question? You know what it is, what is the shortest verse in the Bible? Do you know, John eleven thirty five? 35, Jesus wept, bam, you know, done, you get a star, whatever. No, Jesus is weeping at the tomb because the bad thing which he's about to work good through is bad. It is bad. Death came into this world 
because of sin. Sin is open hostility to God, the God who made this world. Sin brings decay, and it brings disease, and it brings deception, and it brings death. Bad, 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 bad. So I want you to hear me. Bad things are not blessings in disguise. They are bad. They are bad. These clouds have no silver lining. Bad is bad in the Bible. They are working for good, but they're still bad. So Jesus being mad at that point at the tomb simply means that he hates death and he hates isolation, which death brings, and he hates separation, which death brings, and he hates suffering and pain, which death brings, sin and death brought into the world. And listen, it can be like a four-day-old pain. It can be a four-second-old pain. Jesus is never okay with it. He's never okay with it. He hates the pain that sin caused. In fact, he hates it so much that he freely comes into this world in himself so that eventually he could destroy all of it without destroying us. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? He could destroy all of it without destroying us. That's how much he hates sin and its consequence, death. And that's how much God loves you. So in light of what's been taking place in our state capital recently, in light of all the, the shootings and everything, I've been reading, honestly, a lot of Martin Luther King because I wanted some historical perspective on what is taking place. And one of the things I came across Thank God I came across. I'm not sure if you've ever read this. If you have, um, great. If you haven't, I would commend it to you. It's Martin Luther King's Letters from Birmingham. And he's in jail. He's being criticized by a whole lot of people, and also some clergy, about his civil rights demonstration. And on April 16th, 1963, he pens letters from Birmingham, and there's a lot of classic sentences in there, but there's one he wrote that I'm going to read to you, and he said this, I am in Birmingham, because the question is like, why are you here? You're causing a lot of trouble. This is what he said, I am in Birmingham because injustice is here. And loved ones, Jesus Christ said 2,000 years ago, I am in this world to die because sin and death is here and sin and death are bad. They are bad. So the promise here is not, you know, the more I love God, then the more good things will happen to me. That's not it. The promise is not to worry because the bad things are really aren't bad. They're really good. No, they are bad. But the promise is here, verse 28, God will take the bad things and he will work them for the good in their totality for his children and for his glory. I think I need to say that again. The promise of verse 28 is God will take the bad things and he's going to work them for, for good in their totality for his true children. Which takes us to our third point and I think the most incredible truth that this verse gives. All things mean everything. In fact, if I was smarter at the time, I would have said all things mean everything for all those, like all those in Christ. Because you see, verse 28, when it says in all things, pos is, is the Greek word. It, it literally means each piece of everything. Okay, every stitch in life, God is continually working for the good of his people. That is incredible. 
So it's not like one situation and one situation and one situation. It is like every nanosecond, every nanosecond, God is working for the good for those who loved him or called according to his purpose. So it's not like, you know, I'm going to wait a week and I'll give God a week. And if it turns out good, good. Don't wait a week. Don't wait a month. Don't wait a year. Don't wait a decade. The promise here is not that it's not that any bad segment in your life, you know, if you try to bracket it out, well, you will always be able to see how it works for good. You may not. You may not. I think it's fair to say most of the time we do, but it's there. It may not. We may not be able to see the good. The promise here is is that in the totality of your life. In the whole of all things, every stitch in your life, God promises he will work for good. All right, now let me just explain. First, in all things, God works for the good. It's written in what is called the present active indicative. And I don't tell you that to confuse you or to impress you. I say it because it's good news. It simply means, and it's a continuous present action of God, that he is continually working for the good in all things, every stitch of time, and every Christian's life. So in everything, every second, every day, in the good, in the bad, in all things, God is working for the good for his people. Loved ones, that is love. I mean, just, just soak that in. That is love. Just take it in. All things for all those who love him, he is working for good. And I'm not, I don't think I can overstate this enough. Because like Monday will be here and Tuesday and Wednesday and so on. God is perpetually working good in every second of our life. All good for all those. And loved ones, there's a synergy here. There has to be. There's a connection between all of our lives in Christ. I mean, it wasn't by accident, the two stories that I chose, it dealt with individuals, but it saved a whole lot of people. That's usually the way God works. He deals with individuals, but in the dealing with individuals, he saves a whole lot of people. So in your Christian life, there is not one nanosecond of it that God is not working for good. He's working good in the bad. He's working good in the good. He's working good in the, eh, <laughs> of life. So, so bear with me, the silly idea of God doing nothing when things are kind of like humdrum, that's a lie. Or even, you know, forgive me again, COVID is somehow hindering God from executing the good he's, he's trying to do. That's pretty silly. Or here's another one, you know, if, good golly, Miss Molly, God is really working because, and you fill in the blank with some awesome, exciting thing. Sure, God's there. But can I ask you some questions? So when I was walking with my wife last week, we took a nice long walk. Wasn't God working good there? I mean, you didn't know about it until I told you. How about this one? <laughs> when, when you and I, we did some bad things and we said some bad things last week, they were bad. Is God still working for the good? He's the only one that can. He is working in the bad things. He is working in the good things. He is working in the uh, things. That's the first thing. Second, listen to John Newton who summarizes this perfectly. And if you really take this in, this is so liberating. This is what John Newton said. Everything is necessary which God sends. Okay, everything is necessary which God sends. Nothing can be necessary that he withholds. Don't you just, you know, exhale. 
meaning things we think are good, but that God has withheld, it just means they're not necessary, at least not right now. And any bad things, which are still bad, when they come to us, they come in to ultimately bring good. So when the bad comes, don't be shocked. Just anticipate good. Jonathan Edwards, same point in a sermon. You may look down upon the whole army of worldly afflictions under your feet. And you may consider with joy that however so great they are. And however so numerous they are. Let them all join their forces together against you. Isn't that a great sentence? Let them all. I mean, not if you're going through it. But you understand. Let them all join their forces together against you. And put on there your most ruthful and dreadful habits. So now he's talking about you. Okay, the bad things that happen to you and then the bad things that come out of you. Put on all your most ruthful and dreadful habits, forms and appearances. And let them both spend all of their strength, all of their vigor, all of their violence with endeavor to do you any real hurt or mischief. And it will all be in vain. Translation, no power of hell, no scheme of man. You understand what he's saying? It's like, bring it all on. It can't stop the promise of Romans 8.28 and Romans 8.39 and everything in between. So when you take that in, then all of a sudden trouble takes on a whole new look. And I think routine praise to God is the most practical thing that we can do. I mean, how could it not be? So, okay, you're a parent and you have some teens. And the teen is way off track. There is, should be, there should be this deep sense of security for the Christian parent here. A deep sense of security. Your life is taking a beating. You can be patient in affliction. You're doing some awful bad things right now that you know you need to stop. If you belong to Jesus, he's working out for the good, those things. I think, I think something like this is, is true. The lower you lay me, the higher you will raise me. The more you try to destroy me, the more you will make me. That's what Paul is saying. Now ask yourself, do you believe this? Do you believe this? So let's just end with some applications. Number one, when you think of this, think of the cross. Because at the cross, God took the greatest possible evil, the death of his son, How dare they, right? How dare they? God at the cross took the greatest possible evil and he brought about the greatest possible good. Billions and billions of people rescued from their sin by that bad act at the cross. Second, this causes you to rest. Rest in these truths. Don't give, up, don't give up on good things in hard times. Don't give up on good things in hard times. Third, this means the Christian, we cannot ruin God's purposes in our life. We're not, we're not that big and not that strong. Not the Christian. The Christian cannot ruin God's purposes in our life. All things really mean all things. You're not the one exception. Do you do that to yourself? I'm like, I'm the one exception here. You're not the one exception to this rule. Believe this. This, this, if you would, is the secret of living a calm, peaceful, and useful life. Final one. This is more like a warning than an application. So let's say you get good fast. 
And I promise you from the bottom of my heart, I hope you do. Let's say you get good fast. Please don't strut. Please don't say, you know what, if those folks over there, if they would have done X like me, and if they would have done Y like me, and if they would have done Z like me, they would have gotten good from God really quick like me. Please don't do that. Remember Joseph. Remember Jesus. Remember Paul. And get a good Christian history book. And remember a whole lot of other Christians who had to wait a long, 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 long time. Maybe even some past death until they saw the good. I love you. But more importantly, God loves you. And nothing can separate you or me (laughs) from that love. This morning, my prayer for you today was, I hope you have a really good day in this truth. You soak it in and enjoy it, and then when you wake up tomorrow morning, make application in the life that God has given you. Let's pray. Father, you are clearly worthy to receive all honor and all glory and all praise forever and ever, world without end. Thank you, Father, that you have gathered for yourself a church that you love. And you are the one who's working good, even in the bad. A bad which sometimes comes from us and a bad which sometimes comes to us. But it's still bad. When it comes out of us, please forgive us. And when it comes to us, keep affirming your love for us. And thank you that things will not be this way forever. One day, and we sincerely praise your name. It's going to be good. There's going to be no bad forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Now, Father, please then bless your people today to the praise of your glory for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.